Let's open our Bibles today to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 12 as we continue on in our journey through Thessalonians. Um, I'll give you a second to get there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. Um, kids, they if you didn't get them, there's some worksheets that you can work on, and if not, enjoy trying to follow. I put some pictures on the screen so you can discover new worlds of pictures. So there's a Titanic up there for you to ask your parents about later. I'm not going to tell you too much about it. Anyways, here we go. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live. You will not need to be dependent on others. As I read through this passage this week, I noticed the importance of winning the respect of people outside our doors, outside the church doors, outside our church families, our, 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 our small groups, outside. And Paul puts such an emphasis on that. Paul has assumed that we already love one another inside these doors, but he wants the church to be sure to live a life that earns respect of people who are not followers of Jesus. He wants us to make it a priority to be a missional-minded church. Paul wants the church to have a good name and to be respected so that the message that we bring to the world won't land on, on, will land on soft hearts, not hearts that are a predetermined idea for an unloving church based on hypocritical behaviors of people that should be living a life of integrity. I repeat that. He doesn't want people to be seeing inside the church, seeing people of hypocritical behaviors, of people that should be living a life of integrity but aren't. The only way that you and I can truly win the respect of outsiders is by living a life full of integrity. I have a story. I always got a few stories. I, get in, I don't get in trouble for my stories. My stories are fun. My stories are adventurous sometimes. This one was kind of adventurous. Um, we all know a compass. If you open up your iPhone, there's a nice picture of a compass. Actually, if you look close enough, it's pointing southeast. That's kind of weird. But usually they point north. So that's, that's unfortunate. But compasses always point north. Am I right? I'm right with that, right? They don't always point southeast. They point north. So we were, my friend John Wilson and I, grade 12. It was our grade 12 camp out. Very exciting in Alberta, up in the mountains where the grizzly bears live in springtime. Very exciting time. And we climbed up this mountain. It was good fun. We got to the top as, with our class with about 40 or 500. I don't know how many people were there. A lot of other people. And we were like, hey, I can see camp from here. Mike Coulter, you like to adventure. He's a big adventurer. You ever get lost? Never. You always have a compass on you. This is important. We had a compass this time. It was really good. And so we thought, hey, teacher, can we go down this mountain and get to the camp without following, without following the right path? Can we go this way? And the teachers thought for a while. I was the president of our school at the time. Very exciting. Um, the, pre the teacher thought for a while, do we like John and Jordan? No, they decided they don't like John and Jordan. They decided to send us on our merry way down the mountain. So we're like, this is awesome. So we look down, we're like, there, they go that way. We got the compass pointing that way. We're just going to follow it straight down, and we should be good. So as we start to go down, we go down, we go down, and then the, the trees start to come up and up and up, and we can still see the camp. So this is good. We are good. We should be there within an hour, within an hour. So we start walking. 
the trees started creeping up. And we started getting lower. The snow started to melt a bit more. And we, were, and we were like, man, this is taking a long time. Man, is that a bear track? Man, what is that? What kind of brown substance is that? Is that going to eat us? I don't know what's going to happen here. So we started to get worried. But then we we're like, okay, pull out the compass. The compass has integrity. The compass knows where to point. The compass was still pointing the right way. We were going the right way. But this one-hour journey took us like three hours. And we were like, man, this is not good. This is not, this is not good. We started getting nervous. started getting worried. Started crying a little bit. Things will go untold about what happened on that trip. However, finally, we followed the compass the right direction. And a few bear attacks later, we made it back to the camp. We had this one piece of equipment that was, in, that was full of integrity. We knew that that compass was going to keep on facing the right way. And we we're going to keep us going in the right direction. And, and that's kind of what we need to be as a church. We need to be a compass. We need to be a point that has integrity, that points to Jesus. And if we don't point to Jesus, we start pointing northeast, southeast like this one does. People aren't going to know where to look for Jesus. And we need to be people of integrity that kind of point the right direction. Let's have a couple in- definitions. Adherence, this is integrity, in- adherence to moral and ethical principles. Soundness of moral character and honesty. The state of being whole. Remember that word whole. Entire or undiminished preserve the integrity of an empire. A sound, unimpaired, or a perfect condition. The integrity of a ship's hull. Much like the Titanic. Not so much. So we have kids in the, in the church today. We got my kids. She, my, my Emily, she's four. Sayla, she is seven. I got my kids' name, ages right, right? And their name's good. So, and we have like a definition for kids as well, so, so they can follow along and I can follow along, which is always nice. Um, the condition of being free from danger, from damage or defects. So no damage, no defect. That's integrity. Total honesty and sincerity. So tell your mom and dad the truth. Tell people around you the truth. Be honest. That is integrity. Have sincerity. When you say you're going to clean your room, Emily, clean your room. That would be good. The quality of state being completed or undivided. I've got a few quotes. I saw this one online. There was no person that gave it to us. Gandhi says something else, but this one is a little bit, bit similar. It says, integrity is when you think, say, and do are all in harmony. So everything you think, say, and do are in harmony with one another. So all your, all your mind, body, spirit, everything's working together for the for the good. Michael Ramsden of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries states that the importance of integrity in relationships. Every relationship you have is driven by and depends on this quality of integrity. Every relationship you have, this father and daughter, I'm going to Have you ever driven with your kids in the front seat, you know, driving like that, mom and dad? That's not integral, but I do it as well. It's a bit dangerous, but it's fun. Um, but they got to trust you in that. And and this is the importance of my relationship with my kids and your relationship with your kids and people around you is honesty and integrity. Dance like no one's watching. You know that. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, you know, you dance. You have fun. Anybody danced at home before with no one watching? That's exciting. But we need to live on the outside the way we live on the inside. C.S. Lewis says, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. In the dark corners, in the light, everything's the same, which is so hard for all of us to say, but it's our goal. We're not going to get there all the time, but we strive for it. In fact, people um, throughout the Bible struggle with this. Moses, Noah, um, David, they had moments 
where they lacked integrity. Uh, they had moments where their integrity slipped, their integrity was gone, but Christ, God forgave them. And we have moments where we've slipped up in our integrity. And if God's willing to forgive them and see what they've done after that and how they were still, David was a man after God's heart. He wasn't a man after God's heart when he messed up, but he was a man after God's heart when he forgave him. See, yes, when we're messing up, we're not doing right. We're not living in unison with God, but we can be switched back. And if these people can be called men and women of integrity after murdering their spouses, you know, all the awkward stuff that happened, but they can still be someone like that, that's fantastic. And so that's what we need to be. We need to be, have hope that we can still be men and women of integrity. The only way that we can truly win the respect of others is by living a life full of integrity. God is more interested in your heart and my heart than our sin. First thing that Paul talks about in verse 9, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show yourself, show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Just a bit earlier, in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12, it says, may the, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. So first of all, increase and overflow for those around us and for everyone else, people outside our doors. May our love overflow for people outside our lives, outside this moment. And I know we do that and we strive for that, but we've got to strive for it even more and more, just to be able to keep, keep our eyes on that. The church has been through a lot. And the church in general, not our church, our church is great, it's going great, but it's also been through a lot. But um, we have to remember to think about the people outside our doors. Often, um, I find myself uh, in our youth ministries to, to really be sensitive to the people outside our doors. And sometimes, um, yeah, I do that. I love to have new Christians coming into our door, non-Christians coming into our doors. But the way that I really think, this is my, my thought my philosophy in youth ministries, if we can have kids that don't know Jesus coming into our doors and seeing a whole bunch of kids that love Jesus and are full of integrity, that's a really good balance. Because if you come into a door and you see someone that loves you and is full of integrity, you're going to want to be a part of that person's life. But if you come into a, into a church that doesn't have integrity, that doesn't love people around them, you're not going to connect very well. And, and the, the, the chance of, of winning them over or winning people to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus is it's really difficult. And we need to think that we love people for who people are, not what we can get from them, not what we can um, make happen with them. So, so we need to just be, we want to encourage people to come into our doors and we go out to people and we go out into our community and live a life of integrity and live a life of love. And when we do that, We'll see people that say, hey, I want what you have. Because the world is full of really good entertainment value. Um, you know, every once in a while, we'll try to make a little video for youth, or we'll try to make some kind of exciting thing on it. But we don't have billions of dollars, millions of dollars to, to entertain the world. So we can't, as a church, we could have fireworks going off every once in a while. Maybe that would get people saved. I don't think so. We can't compete, is what I'm saying. We can't compete. The only thing that we have that can compete and actually blow other people out of the water if we want to think of it that way, I'm not trying to be too crass about it, but we can love people. We can love people unconditionally, whether or not they've hurt us or whatever. So let's just be a people that love and love and love and love some more. Integrity with our love. We win the respect of others. To win the respect of others, we need to live a life of love and integrity. We need to live peacefully. 
peace with those around us. Um, there's a guy, Paul Ekman. He was, a, he was Cambridge, doctorate, or whatever they get. Dave got one. He's getting one pretty quick here. It's very exciting. So he's a smart guy. Dave's a smart guy. We are, we're all smart, but Dave's a smart guy. This Paul guy, he knew what he's talking about in the world of nonverbal communications. I know, and my face tells a story. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people that can hide behind my face. My face, I'm sorry, you have to look at it. This is what it is. And I wear my heart on my sleeve, ask people around. Sometimes I'm, you know, I, I think that's kind of a good quality, but not always a good quality. Um, but he knew what people were saying. You know spy movies where your eye twitches, your finger moves, and life goes on, and you're like, I know what you did. I know that you did this and this and this, and you killed the whole whatever. This is what he did. This is where he comes from. So he knows if people are telling the truth or telling a lie. It's also like when you're crossing the border, and you have an apple, and the guy says, hey, do you have any fruits or vegetables with you? And you're like, no. I up left or whatever. I know you're looking up left, and you're going to contaminate our country, USA, with your apple. This is what he's, so he's worked on. So we have a living in peaceful life, living a quiet life. Trust. I'm going to skip a little bit of this, but I'm going to read most of it. Trust is a matter of faith that the people who trusted won't exploit that trust. Intimacy in close working relationships, romance, and friendship requires and depends on trust. So relationships require and depend on trust. Yet, it is well known that the, the last person to realize he or she is being betrayed is the person that is betrayed. The last person to know that they're being betrayed is the person that has been betrayed, whose trust was blocked out of recognition of any of the signs of betrayal that everyone else has picked up. It's an embarrassing, it's a hurtful moment when your trust has been hurt and everybody else knows around it, but you don't know what's happening. I'm going to skip down to once trust has been betrayed, can it ever be restored? Not all the time even when the betrayal is forgiven, when the betrayed person doesn't want to give up the relationship, it may be hard to completely trust again. That is the price of lying about serious matters, the loss of trust, which may never be restored. Trust is a bridge that takes a long time to build, but it can be destroyed in a matter of moments. I had a relationship uh, with my senior leader in England, and it didn't start off particularly well. I won't go into the whole story. It would embarrass the world, to be honest with you. Um, but I will tell you later on, because it's a good story, but I just won't say it here. But we had trust issues, him and I. And something happened, and we, he said, she said, we both said something wrong. And uh, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't great, and trust was broken. And it took two years for that trust to be restored. Now, we didn't think it would ever be restored. But I was over at Lady Sylvia's house, and she said, let's pray. Let's pray for this person. And I'm sure she was doing the same thing. We were praying for each other, and I was like, bitter. I just couldn't do things right, because I was so upset about this trust that had been broken. But I had broken the trust as well, and I needed forgiveness. And as that trust started to, to come back, you know, there's one moment I remember him and I, just everything fell to the side, and trust was restored. And it says here that trust is really hard to restore. And it can't always be restored, but we know as people in the church that trust can be restored with Jesus. And trust can be restored through Christ. And it was. And we became really good friends after that. And uh, we did a lot. We worked together really well after that. First while didn't go so well. The second while it went really well. And at the end, we went to London together. He showed me his old church. He showed me lots of things that happened. And it was great. And I was really excited about that because God restored that trust. And on the back of trust, 
there's suspicion. Suspicion is the opposite of trust. It undermines relationships that matter and makes a suspicious person miserable. All of us face a choice about trust. Do we take the risk of being misled by trusting, risk of being misled by trusting based on faith, or do we take the risk not only disbelieving a truthful person, but never being able to establish close connection because of our suspicious distrust? So basically this is saying, do we choose to trust? Do we choose to put ourselves out there to be hurt? Or do we choose to trust? Do we choose, or do we choose to be suspicious? And when you're in a suspicion, when you're, when you're not trusting the people around you, it becomes very difficult. And this relates to us and the outside world. The church has broken trust. The church. Remember, sorry, when I'm saying the church, I'm talking about the church around the world. That's broken trust. We've broken trust, but the church around the world, unfortunately, there's been times that has broken trust. And we had a kid came to youth and they're like, I love the, the idea of Jesus, but I can't get over the crusades. I can't get over this, this, this. There's stuff that has been hurt. And the world, unfortunately, has a right to be suspicious. But we need to build up that trust. That bridge in a lot of people's lives has been broken. And I see it a lot of times, unfortunately, with kids that come to youth and they can't come to youth because they're like, I don't know. I've been hurt by the church before. I don't want them to come anymore. And I understand that, but we need to build that bridge. We need to start with our lives, being integral and being, being forthright and being honest and being doing the right thing. And that will start to build a bridge of trust. And then people can trust who we are as a church. These are all things that are fun to learn how to do. Like minding your own business. Ugh. We all like a bit of, we all like a bit of gossip gossip. Does anybody know these two guys' names? Come on, just yell it out if you know their names. It's really hard, isn't it? Nobody? Nobody? One starts with a W, Wal, Waldorf. Wait, were you at the first service? Oh, no, it's Jenna. Okay. Waldorf, Waldorf and Statler? Statler. Here we go. Waldorf says, they aren't half bad. Nope, they're all bad. You know how it goes. You know the, the gist of it. I messed it up this morning, the first service, but we'll get through it. I wonder if there's really life on any other planet. Why do you care? You don't have a life on this one. <laughs> what is all the commotion about? Waldorf, the bunny ran away. Well, you know what that makes him? Smarter than us. Anyways, sorry. I don't read jokes very well, but they're there. <laughs> These guys are super bitter and are super bitter. I think they're, the Muppets are on still right now, 8 o'clock on. Monday night or something like that. You can watch it. They are bitter people. And you know what? <laughs> if someone says, you know the question, if you could hang out with one person for a day, who would that be, alive or dead? I think I'd hang out with these two people because they would be really funny. They'd make fun of me all day long, but they would make me laugh as well. So anyways, but these people were like the epitome of gossip and the epitome of, of just these two Muppets. I shouldn't say people. God, stop saying people. These Muppets, <laughs> they represented kind of the bad. Um, if I were have asked people to raise, you know, when the preacher says, raise your hand if you've ever this or ever that. If you've ever participated in, don't do it. If you've ever participated in gossip, raise your hand. And unfortunately, every single one of us would. We don't even know when we're kind of partaking in gossip. Hey, can you pray for my friend? Blah, 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 blah. Or, hey, I really care about this person. Can you worry about this? Um, we're talking about something, something this week. And, and it was like, um, I wanted to say Bill Gaither, but it's Bill Gother. Is that who it is, Harry? And he said, he said, if you come up to me 
and start to say, hey, I got a problem with this person. Are you asking me to solve that problem? Or are you just going to solve it yourself? Because if you're just coming to tell me just to get it off your chest, I don't want to hear about it. And we need to be really um, with gossip, and we're all guilty of this at, at one time or another. We need to be able to say, hey, I don't want to hear that. It says in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 20, verse 9, a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't even hang out with the chatterers. Don't even listen to the chatter. And that's a big one for us, because, yeah, maybe I don't say it, but I listen to it, and, 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 and the Bible's telling us not even to listen to it. And so we need to be able to be strong, because I'm a people pleaser, and so I like when people feel, you know, good. I need to be like, hey, I'm going to walk away from this conversation right now, even though it's a good conversation. And I need to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to offend you so I don't offend the Holy Spirit. And that's a big thing that we need to make the distinction of. We need to not even participate in that. And, it, and gossip has ruined so much. And we know it if we think about it. It's ruined ministries. It's ruined people's lives and people's marriages. It's ruined a lot. The Israelites, when they were going through, they didn't get into the promised land because there was grumbling and there was gossip and there's people talking about Moses. They're like, at one point, you know, he said, they said, I don't even know who this leader is. It's Moses. We all know who Moses is. There was such, it's just a negative world. And they didn't get to see the promised land because of it. So we just need to be really careful. You know, it's something that we all face every day. So let's just be careful. I'm going to read one verse that is super fun about gossip. It is so much fun. You're going to love it. It compares what a gossip is maybe like. I just, I don't want to throw this as judgment. This is all of us working through this together. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. First of all, abomination, good fun. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, this is fun. A hand that sheds innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. That's fun, hey? That's a verse that can sit with us. Remember, Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. If we just need to see what our words can mean, this is just a good verse to look back to. And it's a challenge for all of us. If we want to be people that win the respect of others, we need to be known as people that can be trusted with words, can be trusted with secrets, can be trusted and can walk with our heads held high and say, I don't need to share this information. It's a really good way to live. Work hard and don't be dependent on anyone. Verse 11 and 12, work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Lead a good life at work. Practice a good work ethic. I do not. We do not. I had one for a bit, actually. Dave Moore had one. One of those water coolers. You guys have the water cooler. Who has a water cooler at work? Anybody? Because I've heard a lot of stories. Calvin, I'm going to talk about you, Calvin, in this one. So there's a water cooler at work. You guys all get into work one day, and you're like, hey, let's talk about sports. All of Jordan's teams lost this weekend. Good fun. It's normal. I always, my teams always lose. But you kind of get into the, into the world of life, and everyone's talking, everyone's chatting, and and you kind of like, sometimes our conversations go longer. And we all, some, a lot of us have Facebook, and sometimes we go on Facebook a little longer than we should. And, and this, is, this verse is asking us to work hard. Be someone, you know, if you want to win the respect of outsiders, be integral with your work. Be like, hey, that person gets work. Yeah, sometimes you might be known as a brown noser, or kind of thing like that, a suck up, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? In the end, you'll win the respect of the people around you. You know, when I worked at the lumber yard for six years, I made it my goal never to call in sick. 
And it was disgusting. Because <laughs> I didn't call in sick. I had snot everywhere. I was coughing, all kinds of stuff. I was like, I'm in work. And, you know, whatever. People probably didn't like me at all. But I didn't call in sick. And that was my goal, is just to try to be as integral as possible. You know, now I wasn't perfect at it. But it's good to make that your discipline, to be a hard worker. Um, Colossians 3.23, work hard. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. When I was in grade 7, I played for the Hilltoppers football team, and we'd have to run hills, or in rugby, we'd have to run the stairs in Calgary. And uh, as I'd be running, I'd be like, God, I am doing this for you and absolutely nobody else, because this is the worst thing in the world. So just do it for God. Don't do it for yourselves. Um, And then be good with your finances. This is a fun one, hey? Be good with our finances. Elisha, my son, he thought it would be fun to climb up our dresser the other day. That's always good. And make sure, I also, a new side point, make sure you have your dressers connected to your walls if you have kids, because that could be dangerous. But he was climbing up, and he broke the third shelf as he got up. And uh, dressers aren't that cheap. And, uh, and if you want a new one, you whatever, they're not that cheap. So Liz and I, we had a decision to make. Do we go out and buy a new dresser, or do we live with our old? We don't. Dresses are expensive, unfortunately. And, and if you want a new one, you know, if you want one that'll break, Actually, I broke our dresser like our first year of being married. I dropped it and it broke. And we've had this broken dresser for this long. So I'm like, yes, I get a new dresser. So then we went out and we looked and, oh, man, those are expensive. So I had a decision to make. You know, I could walk in a little bit of debt or I could just spend more than I have a little bit just to get a nice new dresser. Or maybe for now, maybe we can afford it. Maybe we can't. Let's just be wise. Nobody's coming into our room. No one's going to see that we have a drawer missing from our dresser. It just will be a little bit of an eyesore. But you know what? We can choose and we can justify debt so easily. And we got to be integral with our money. Be integral with giving. You know, that new TV or this or that. You know, on the outside, what I'm saying in here, hey, that's easy. I don't need to buy this. I don't need to buy that. But it's really easy when you walk into Best Buy. and like, oh, there's one on sale. This is the floor model. And it's only 18 months. I don't got to pay anything. I could, it's easy to justify easy debt. You can live for free until it all catches up with you. So let's just be wise. Because at the end, it says... It says, don't be dependent on anyone. If we're going into debt now, if we're going into debt now, what does the future hold? We need to be strong enough to be able to be dependent on ourselves because there is going to be a time when either we're dependent on the people in our church or people around us are now dependent on us. And we need to be wise with our money. And so we need to be wise so when we, be, when we can say to someone, hey, I have integrity in my finances. My business is doing things right. Then they'll be like, I trust you. And I want to be like you. So be wise with your business and be wise with what you do and how you spend your money. There's so many things that I could talk more about integrity, but these are the some things that I just kind of thought. No, I didn't think about this. This is what came from the scripture. And this is the thing I just want to challenge us with. We can all get better in many areas. And uh, we have a hope in Jesus. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, they all struggled. And there was times that they didn't have integrity. But God forgave them, and they walked with their heads held high. Saw a picture of the Titanic earlier. Oh, no, we got the gains first. Yes, the gains. What do you gain? Well, first of all, you regain the respect of others. Look at that gain. I asked my wife, should I put the gain one up there? Yeah, let's do it. We win the respect of others. That is, like, so exciting. We can walk with our head held high. Talked about the C.S. Lewis quote, doing in the light as the same as in the dark. Can you walk out of your room? Can you walk out of your private time with your head held high saying, hey, I 
beat that temptation. I beat this. I, beat, I was amazing and I walked with my head held high and I can shake your hand and look you in the eyes because I don't have anything to hide. That's what you get when you live a life of integrity. Legacy. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous who walk with integrity, blessed are his children after him. What an amazing verse. You talk about being a parent. If you can be a parent of integrity, yeah, it's hard. The kids are screaming and crying. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I love you, girls. You're fantastic. And boy. But sometimes it's really hard. But if we can be that person of integrity, they're going to see that. And then our kids are going to be people of integrity. That's a great legacy to leave on. And then Matthew 5, 8 says, close to God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the people of integrity. For they'll see God. We'll be close to God. That's the most important one. We can be close to God if we have a heart of integrity. Stuff's not easy, but it's there. The Titanic. Big ship. It had compartments. And it thought it was unsinkable because it had compartments all around it. But it got slashed. It wasn't even a big hole. It was just some slashes in it. And it compromised one compartment, and they thought, hey, we're okay, but it didn't. The water went into the next compartment, into the next compartment. We might be able to live our life for a while, saying, hey, I've got this compartment over here, and I'm okay with it. But you know what? This part here, I'm not willing to give to God just now. You, can, you got a pie chart. The whole thing is great, but you have one spot where you let, allow Satan to come in. If we have one part where we allow our integrity to slip, it can really affect the whole thing. That's what happened to the, it just it sunk the ship. <laughs> There's so much that can go wrong. Even if we let one little part, you can have our, our church face and our behind the scenes face. We have work face and our private life. When the lights are on and when the lights are off, we need to be people and strive to be people of integrity. Get someone to help us. Just say, hey, help me to be that person I need to be. Jesus, in closing, Jesus taught us integrity. Worship team, if you want to come up. Jesus taught us integrity. Jesus walked in a way that was amazing. You know, he walked in the desert, and he had opportunities to let his integrity slip. He went to Garden of Gethsemane. He had opportunities to let his integrity slip. He said, I could get out of this, but I'm not going to. He was before Pilate. He kept an integral heart. And he was on the cross. And he died for you and I to keep integrity. He did this to win the respect of outsiders and to, to die for our sins. The only way that you and I can truly win the respect of outsiders is by living a life full of integrity. Thank you.